Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What is going on today? Hey, today is a good day, and uh, it's a good day for the What Difference Does It Make podcast. It certainly is. It's always a good day for the What Difference Does It Make podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Who's stepping into the neighborhood today? Coming into our neighborhood, our virtual studio today is Jorge Perez Navarro. I love the way you say that. Thank you very much. You speak the language, don't you? I, I, I do speak the language. That's nice. And so you've gone on some radio conventions and you've met some international players. That's where half my closest friends come from. Okay, so Jorge and I, we've been friends for about 30 years. He was one of my very first clients when I was working at Westwood One, and he was the program director for a group of stations in Guadalajara. He was a young program director, and we worked together. And we have been friends ever since. We've been really good friends ever since, you know, through families, marriages. And he moved from Guadalajara to El Paso, Texas, uh, where he got married. And then he moved to Miami, where he worked for almost 20 years. He went from music radio, where I met him, into the sports world, which is really his thing. He's worked for Univision and for ESPN and he was the anchor of a nightly sports show in the vein of Sports Center called Contacto Deportivo. And he's done play by play, which is his thing. And he's really good at it. He's covered World Cups since 2002. And he has left music behind, but we got to bring him back. He's very passionate about music. And we got to bring him back into the music fold. That's great. I can't wait to talk to him. <laughs> let's, let's get into it right now. I started in this business as a radio DJ. I, I got to it like uh, kind of like very late. I was born in 69. Okay. So like Perfect. 79, 78, 1980, I started to get hooked in music. Yeah. Uh, I really, really started after Christmas in 1981 that I got my first two cassettes as a Christmas present. The following year, I was able to buy my, my first four uh, LPs. From then, I I got into radio like uh, like a joke. I mean, I wanted to be a doctor. Imagine that. So um, one day, the last teacher in our class, we were finishing high school, uh, didn't show up. So we, we were released early. And uh, there was this like epic and, and very famous voice in radio. And one of my friends told me, why don't we go and meet him in person? And I said, well, we don't have any else, any, anything else to do. He wasn't in town. He was traveling, but his secretary was so nice to tell us to to tell us to to, to come back on Monday. There was a Friday, so after class we used to finish school at, at noon. So we we drove to the office, and we met him, and we were expecting like this like above everything personality and like this handsome guy with like big muscles and because he had the voice. Right. And then you see like a, an almost senior kind of like short, very nice. A man with a mustache and like the old way, like the Clark Gable type of mustache mm-hmm. and gray hair and the, the type of retiree square shirt with a bunch of pants and the pocket and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, here, here, here's uh, Mr. Mario Vargas. We were like, what? And he just started talking and it was like really hard to place a voice into that character. He ended up being a terrific gentleman. I don't know if Holly met uh, Don Mario Vargas because he, I met Holly through the radio station, and uh, she did a, uh, a she tr- she traveled to Guadalajara, and uh, she met pe- people from the station. But I don't know if he was still there or not. And, and he was a person that yeah. he was very famous, and, and he got me my first gig. We we ended up talking about music, like we got there like a 
twelve thirty, and and we left the uh, the the station like at eight thirty at night. And and he loved it so much that he's. He was a very creative man. In those days, radio was like a very deep voice. And he used to say that the performer and the, the, the title of the song and the time. And, and that was it. He pictured in us like, like a fresh air of something new. And uh, we started that show in 1987. And it took us like three or four months to become number one in the city. That's a very short amount of time to, to hit number one. What city are you in? Where? What country? Where? Where are we? I was born and raised in Guadalajara, Mexico, but now I'm living in uh, in El Paso, Texas. I, I lived in Florida for in Miami for 19 years, and I moved back to El Paso because my kid is, is here. When I divorced, he moved with his uh, mom to El Paso. She's from here, and uh, I took a sabbatical because he was starting teenagehood, and it's always a tough stage and. Uh, I need to also take uh, some time off, and um, I'm here, and I love it here. I mean, it's very quiet, very easy to live here. I consider myself uh, an adopted Texan. But back then, in, in my days in Guadalajara, I was very attracted to music in English. I, I'm, I'm not proficient in music in Spanish. I mean, my, my whole life I've been attracted, especially what it was called adult, uh, adult contemporary. Right. I mean, even nowadays, my favorite performer is Billy Joel. But I love the like the Phil Collins and the Elton John, and uh, I was never a hard rock guy. I mean, my friends loved Judas Priest and Rat and the Motley Crue, and I was like, okay. I was more like a, like a, my two favorite bands were Bon Jovi and Def Leppard. We used to call it like commercial music, like something that it was like popular and not like really really heavy. It was yeah, rock music was popular. That was the, the music hit uh, hit the top of the charts. So I. I could see why you gravitated towards that. It's rock, but it's not. Uh, it's not hard rock. Exactly. It's. It's. I mean, the term we used to translate it for that it was like commercial because I mean those uh, records were sold and it was more easy to sell it, even to play it on radio. Because the other thing it was like long hair and uh, still in the eighties. I mean that thing was like the like the real bad guys. Yeah. I mean I went through the uh, through the generation of being raised like like a kid who was told that, uh, okay, are you a dog? Are you a bad guy? Are you a criminal? No. So then you don't need tattoos. <laughs> if my grandparents were alive today, they would die again just seeing how tattoos became a part of our culture, our daily culture, our kids' cultures. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, life has changed. Even the, the earrings. I remember, uh, are you a parent? Yes. No. Yes. So why do you need an, an earring? I mean, it was, it was a different mentality. It was, those were different times. So when you used to see the, uh, the, the rock stars wearing a ring and uh, long hair, it was like, damn. Yeah. Yeah, my parents discouraged me from earrings and coloring my hair or doing anything like that. You're never going to get a job if you do that. They Can were I good at scaring me. Your ear? Yeah. Uh, no? Okay, so pick it up. Okay. Yeah. So Dave, show, show her your, your tattoos. Yeah, now I got a whole sleeve. No, I'm... <laughs> I've got nothing. I still hear my I, I, I still hear my parents in my ears. You know, like why would you do that, Dave? What, you know. You know, I, I'm I'm the same. I mean, I'm I'm I like that. I mean, I don't think if if I wouldn't be raised that way, I would be attracted to it. I love watching like the TV shows about tattoos because I think it's an art. It's really amazing how they can draw a picture and make it feel like it's alive. When, I mean, the ones that are good. Not the ones that can misspell an easy, an easy word like love or something like that. <laughs> but those who are really good, I mean, they can, it's, it, it feels like 
the tattoo is live. I mean, it has a story, but I wouldn't do it. I mean, in my body. I mean, sometimes I'm biased with my kids. With my kid, I have a I have a 15 year old. I probably should back down, but uh, he says, "No, puppy, don't worry." I'm, I mean, I don't like tattoos. I don't like earrings, and I was like, "Okay, well, we'll see." Yeah. He may rebel someday. Okay, you just reminded me, Dave. I didn't tell you I got Steve to watch Ted Lasso. I'm Good. rewatching it. All right. Did you watch the the series Ted Lasso? No, man. Super cute. You have to watch it. Super cute. (laughs) We just watched the episode. I think it was Jamie Tart has the tattoo on his arm and and it says arm in Chinese. Yes. (laughs) Funny in the show. Very good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're watching. Finally, watching Ted Lasso. That's good. I'm rewatching it with him. Well, that's fun. What was a typical day like? Late '80s, I guess, when you came of age. You're gonna laugh at me, but the first musical material that I got in my life was a Christmas present, and those were the um, Flash Dance and Staying Alive soundtracks. Solid the old cassette, the yeah. old tape format. Yeah, I used to play it. At the at the uh, sound system that my parents had at the living room. Oh my god! I mean, I I felt like I was the coolest kid in my neighborhood, and uh, I I went I were going back and forth, back and forth, and then it's when I became a little bit obsessive that uh, I discovered that when I like a song, I go backwards, yeah, and backwards, and again, and I can hear a song. I went for a walk like yesterday, and I walked for like almost an hour and 40 minutes. I heard the same song for an hour and 40 minutes because it, it really made me feel like uh, motivated to go for the walk. That's how obsessive I am. Beyond those two cassettes, the first records that I was able to afford, two were, I don't know if you guys remember the Asia group with John Wetton uh, leading the vocals, Heat of the Moment, Don't Cry, great albums. And then it was the um, uh, Air Supply Greatest Hits uh, leading the vocals, the one that uh, the cover is like uh, drawing by, by hand, which is like like a it's not a cartoon, but it's like a paint. Mm-hmm. And, and the other one was, I think, oh, the fourth one. I'm you're waking up a, a, a sleeping part of me since like <laughs> 1998. But I think that fourth record, and if it's not, it was like the second time that I was able to afford some records. It was a Neil Diamond record. Uh, some hits were coming to America. Uh, you don't bring me flowers. It's like a kind of a pinkish cover. He's sitting like on a couch, and uh, I think I think he's not wearing the shoes, and he he has his leg crossed. That's a classical one as well. So you strike me as someone who maybe you like to do karaoke. You might like to sing some of these oh, songs. Forget it. No, not, no, not even, not even when I'm taking a shower. No, not even no, air support. You're not belting out. I'm all out of love. You know, my voice, my my ranges singing are like this. I mean, this is not like this. Uh, me too. It's it's like this. So, uh, Air Supply was was like a really high tone, and I and I enjoyed it. I I saw them live in Guadalajara. Concerts became like something really really big in Mexico, like around 1987, 88, 89. A group in Mexico started uh, bringing artists, and one of the very first that uh, came to Guadalajara. I'm not sure the very first one was Rod Stewart because we're talking about 19, I think it was 1989 with that uh, Bagabond album. Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Forever Young and yeah. something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was, that, that was a tour for Rod Stewart, but uh, Air Supply went to uh, Guadalajara, late 80s, early 90s. And still, uh, it was a great show. I mean, many memories. The range is like really high. I'm lying alone. My head on the phone 
He's definitely an adult contemporary kind of guy. Yeah, but like down in Guadalajara and Central America, those audiences are so passionate for for music. I would imagine like concerts are just. Uh, do you notice a difference between concerts in in Mexico and, and the United States? In Mexico, it is the same. I mean, back then the infrastructure was not as it is right now. I mean, there are more like uh, places to uh, for shows and, and those kind of concerts than before. I remember seeing uh, Billy Joel um, at, uh, I think it was Palacio de los Deportes in, in Mexico City. Oh man, it was so hard to understand because it's not a place created for concerts. So the sound was going like ricocheting all the way. I mean, right, left, front, back. I mean, it was really, really hard to understand. But still, it was an amazing, an amazing show. Okay, uh, I sent you a cheat sheet. Did you do your homework? Yes, sir. Okay, we're going to go through the songs that KROQ played in 1984. This is off their year-end chart list. They played the 106.7 top songs of 1984, what every radio station does. So we're, we've been looking at it in 10-song chunks, and you, sir, have drawn songs 30 to number 21. So we're going mm -hmm. to discuss these 10 songs that were played on KROQ in Los Angeles in 1984. And we're going to start off with this band called The Psychedelic Furs, The Ghost and You. Are you familiar with this song? Well, actually, like a good rookie, I'm starting with the left uh, foot here because out of the uh, the list, the uh, psychedelic first it was it was not a very popular band in Mexico. Okay, I went not only through the song of the Ghost of You, but I went through some others, and the only one that personally I I'm, I'm able to remember is the one uh, Pretty in Pink, which is uh, part of the soundtrack of the John Hughes movie. And, and and I'm able to remember that because when I was married, my my then wife used to love that movie. Yeah. So when it was being in, when when, I, when when it was in cable. I mean, I watch it with her. I mean, except for the rest of the list that I was given, the English move in Mexico was like a very special one. Not not every single artist made it through. Not not everybody became like a hot shot. Right. And unfortunately, the psychedelic first, it wasn't that. But the rest were okay. <laughs> Let me go to Holly and ask her, what were your impressions of the psychedelic first? You yes. know, I'm a huge fan of the psychedelic first. I love this song. I love this album, Mirror Moves, but I have to say on, on your little, you know, cheat sheet, your notes you gave us, you, you just managed to slide in that Robert Smith comment. And uh, I had no idea, nor would I ever have guessed in a million years. You said uh, Robert Smith of The Cure has cited Mirror Moves as one of his five favorite albums. Yeah. I never would have guessed. <laughs> what was most shocking, you know, watching this video, which obviously it was, you know, many years ago. He looks so young richard butler looks so young like we all were we were all young yeah but we all look the same. when did we you grow your same as we did jorge when did you grow your first mustache is it 15 ne like never no like no two and a half years ago no. oh okay i've never I, I i never liked facial hair i don't know i mean i find it like very uncomfortable i sweat a lot uh i used to live in florida i mean where it's either hot or humidly hot so for me, having some facial hair, it's like, but this is a promise. Actually, it's going to be gone once something happens. I hope it comes sooner than later, but I still have it. I mean, I've been having it for, for two and a half years. What's it for? What it, what's the, is there a bet? Nah, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's very, nobody knows, but 
I, I know. I mean, it's it's very personal. But uh, no, I developed a mustache like when I was 15, and it's when I shaved it. I mean, it was <laughs> one of those mustaches that was like like I don't know, like kind of like not, not, not very thick back then, and uh, it was like not- I think I look a little bit less worse than without this thing than with the thing, uh-huh. and I, I shaved it. He's clean. He's the most clean cut, clean shaven person you can know. <laughs> Nice. Clean, just everything about you is always perfectly in order. What about Dave? When did you grow a mustache uh, when you were younger, Dave? No, you know what? I my dad had a beautiful mustache, and uh, it was just thick and luxurious, and everything you should want in a mustache. And I could not compete with that, and so I've always been clean shaven. Actually, in November, every November for to support Movember. I grow a mustache. I've been doing it for like five, six years now, and my family is horrified by my look. So you know. You but know. let me let me tell you something, and I hope I'm not going really long. That's with, okay. With, yeah. Uh, the comments that I'm making, but uh, probably facial hair was not a at least from what I remember in in, in the atmosphere where I used to be, uh, beards were not that big as they are right now. Uh, I remember that a couple of years, probably starting with Jack Nicholson letting it grow, but one of those like three, four, five day beard, it was what it was like back then used like like for, for, for a very short period of time. Now you develop like the goatee or the full beard and it's, it's, it's thicker. I mean, you don't go like before that it was like like just barely a week yeah. and, and, and it was not a probably as big as it is right now. I don't know if uh, you, Dave or Holly agree with me. Oh yeah, true. Going back to Pretty in Pink, we wanted to look like Spader, James Spader in the, in the movie. You know, just yeah. you know, have that the luxurious ha- have the hair be, uh, but clean shaven, very clean looking, but uh, you know. And my, my kid, my, my kid, when he saw the first '80s movie, that I was like having so many good memories. And in, in Holly knows Sebastian, my son. Uh, he was like, "Did you dress like that?" And your hair was like that. And I was like, well, about the hair, I wish I could have grown like like that because mine is kind of curly but very rebel, and uh, it, it was never going to be like that. And about the other uh, clothes, yeah, it wasn't that colorful, but I mean, kind of the style. The uh, remember that the jackets were so kind of like uh, short. Yeah. We used to call it like like they were like bullfighters uh, jackets because they were like short up to the hip and. Uh, yeah, you didn't live in Miami like in during the Miami Vice time. That was like the late eighties. No, no. So you didn't. I, I, what was the look back then? At uh, when? You, so when did you make it into the states? I've been traveling to the states in '76, but I moved here in '98. Okay. And it was probably close to where we have what we have right now. In 2000 is when I moved to Miami. And honestly, I mean, one one perspective that you have about Miami is one when you're a visitor, when you're a tourist which is probably like like the Miami Vice stuff with the colorful stuff and the nice places. And a different one is when you live there. So you get used to see people like going to restaurants, which is, it was like one of my first, like, what's going on? People showing up at a restaurant with sandals and, and like a tank top. It's like, do they used to come out like that to a restaurant? Oh, we're in Miami. Oh, okay. So <laughs> different I, rules. I just learned to say we're, we're in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, but you would still never go into a restaurant like that ever. It's a regular stuff. It's so hot and it's so warm. I I don't like tank tank tops, but I but I mean that sometimes I I went out with sandals. I mean, but just the supermarket. 
I, I wouldn't go out to, to like like a place with wearing sandals. I mean, uh, it's again going back to the way that I was raised that you have to kind of dress up even to go just to I don't know to travel or to forget about going to work wearing sandals. And and I had many coworkers that, for example, on Saturdays and Sundays they were wearing sandals and shorts and t-shirt, and, and it was a very relaxed uh, atmosphere. Oh, what were you doing when you were working in Miami? I worked for six, 16 years for Univision and then three years for ESPN. I was uh, doing play-by-play for sports, mostly soccer. Sometimes you go to the, to the, uh, to the stadium. Sometimes you do the game from the studio. And, and those weekends when you're in the studio, I mean, if you're not on camera, I mean, people used to really go comfortable. And, uh, and, and it was okay because exactly it was the same motto. It is Miami. So uh, as long as the people did their job, like the way that uh, they were expecting to, it was okay if you were wearing like just a simple T-shirt, a soccer jersey, a sandals, uh, some shorts, a hat, whatever. I mean. It was, it was okay for the weekends. That's crazy. Yeah. Can I just say he's not tooting his own horn enough here. He also anchored a nightly sports show and also covered every World Cup since, I don't know, the dawn of time. Since I was, <laughs> were you the, the, at the, the main desk? You were the, the guy, the, the go-to guy? Yes, sir. Oh. Yes, sir. In, in January of 2002, Ricardo Salis and, and myself had the uh, honor and the pleasure to uh, kick off a show that it's still on air. It's it's called uh, Contacto Deportivo, which is like the um, first real sports center in Spanish competitor from the ESP project. A couple oh. of years later, the uh, sports center in Spanish came out. It's been on air for 19 years, that show. I, I hosted it. I anchored it for 10 years. Then I I, I moved full-time to the uh, special events division. The uh, schedule, the amount of games, the traveling and stuff didn't allow me to keep doing both things. And uh, I also needed a break. I mean, those days were kind of like tough on me personally, family-wise. You know, so I, I, I was just concentrated or focused on, on doing everything related about broadcasting games. Okay. I mean, you had to be impartial, but who is your team now? Now that you're, you could tell us who, who was your hometown, well, like you, the team is, that you follow. This is, <laughs> this is not about having favorites or not. I, I was, I was trained the old way, like to leave that out. But uh, my real favorite team, the one that I grew up uh, cheering disappeared in the mid-90s. It was a Mexican team called Universidad de Guadalajara. Like Guadalajara's university was a professional soccer team. The nickname was Leones Negros, like the Black Lions. Black, okay. And uh, I, I loved the team because the jersey was like vertical stripes, and it was like like the, the German uh, flag. It was like black, yellow, and red, like black, yellow, and red. And it was black shorts, black uh, socks. I mean, they, they brought the team back uh, like, I don't know, five, ten years ago, not related to the university, and, and it's not the same. So after so many years, and it's a different project, I don't feel like yeah. identified as before. But you see those jerseys in the field, <laughs> and everybody say, damn, I mean, they look good. And it's a funny story, but that team was brought back to life because that jersey, somebody had the idea to sell those jerseys again. So they became the hottest jersey sold in Guadalajara. Mm. And we're talking that in Guadalajara, the most popular team is Chivas. Chivas is the most popular team in Mexico along with America, but America, it's in Mexico City. 
So Chivas was dethroned by nobody because there was no team, mm -hmm. just by a jersey. So that's how nice those colors look. Do people favor the team because the jerseys look so nice? Well, I mean, they had a very brief stint. They brought people back because the team was disappeared because it wasn't work. I mean, things weren't working. Things weren't going well. Team wasn't doing well. They ran out of money to hire like decent players and the fans stopped attending. So somebody had the great idea to put like one of those like uh, Caribbean tropical music bands in the stands. So people used to go to the stands to dance. So you had the game playing and then the people dancing in the stands. It was, it was like kind of like, oh my God. I mean, only, only with my team. And, and I hope I'm not going really long. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about uh, Dave and you, Holly, that say, oh, man, we have like so long here and we have gone only through the first of 10 songs that we have. <laughs> that's all right. I'm really sorry. No, that's it's quite all right. You're you're doing nostalgia here and that's what we're doing. I mean, everyone remembers, you know, these uniforms and that's why people started buying them because, you know, they felt nostalgic for uh, for this. Um, and it's the same with, with songs and, and music. You know, we, we always feel nostalgic and that's why we like looking back. Okay, Holly, because you say this so much better than I do, we are talking with Jorge Perez Navarro. And we will be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. And we're back with our very special guest, Jorge Perez Navarro, which Dave, I would like you to try and say his name now. I'm just going to say, welcome back to the What Difference Doesn't Make podcast. It was a blast going on, on a memory lane trip last night, <laughs> uh, just going through the, through the songs. And, uh, and the problem is that I thought, okay, it's 10 songs. I'm just going to just think about this, make some notes, and it'll take an hour, an hour and a half. I ended up like like going through videos, like, I don't know, like, Three hours, probably. I don't know if you guys are going to laugh, but one of the things that made me think 
of this project. It's a, probably the biggest symbol of the 80s that you, Holly, you, Dave, myself grew up with. And, and it felt closer to all these songs and these artists. It's still with us, but no more what it used to be. And I'm, I'm talking about MTV. I mean, doing this research before or even at night, just trying to relax, you would just put MTV and you will go through the videos, especially if it's one, if it's a, a special uh, show about the 80s or oldies or whatever. But uh, now, I mean, you see MTV and you see all these reality shows, sometimes some movies, even with VH1. Mm. It's like, damn, I mean, we lost that part of our culture and that part of the 80s, which thanks to MTV, especially the next group that you're about to introduce, Duran Duran, like really, really went high because they they were supported already by the by the videos industry. I think Duran Duran grew up not only because of their music but because of their videos. Oh yeah, for sure, um, and that that's a good entry into our song, which is number twenty nine, and this is Duran Duran's "The Reflex." Do you remember this song? What were your first remembrances of I remember of this? it very well. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the anecdote around this song, it's the, do you remember the waterfall coming out from the screen on top of the band? Loved it. That was like, oh my God, that is so cool. Right. Now you see it. And if my kid sees it, he says, God, that's not even a decent effect. And I know it, but that was like the coolest thing back then. So Duran Duran was, uh, and I, I'm dying to hear Holly's comment because I think I picture her like front row at the concert and ah, going all crazy. If, if there was a guy that I wanted to be, one of them, it, it was Simon LeBon. Who didn't want to be it's Simon LeBon? I don't know. Holly, I think maybe she wanted to be someone different. Who? Who'd you identify with? As far as Duran Duran, yes, I was Gaga and had a hard time. My, my favorite varied. I love Simon, but I love Nick Rhodes. I like, oh my God, John Taylor. Uh, it's hard to pick. But I had forgotten in watching this video because there are so many. And I did go down the rabbit hole with Duran Duran last night. But for the reflex, I mean, some of the bond, they all look good. But I forgot how well he moved. So yeah, oh. I was <laughs> he moved really well. I mean, it well, seems obvious because that was their thing. But now that Holly was going through the lineup, Nick Rhodes and, and John Taylor started the band. Then they got Roger Taylor, Simon LeBon, and Andy Taylor. None of the three Taylors were related among them, which is kind of funny. I, I love that. I always love that fact. And, and, and none of the, the Thompson him. twins were not twins. So, you know, it was just in the 80s, everything was all, nothing as it was, was as it seemed. And I think Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart weren't married, right? No, they were not married. Oh, and everybody thought they were married. Let's not forget that from Duran Duran, two of the guys, John Taylor and Andy Taylor, went on to create another great band from probably late 80s, but it was a power station. It was one of those very first super bands that we, we had the chance to see, to live and to cheer for in the late 80s and early 90s. Dave, I was very surprised to learn something new about you after all this time. What? This is your favorite Duran Duran song. Oh, the reflex. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of it had to do with the video and the waterfall coming over and just, uh, and you, you saw like the whole band, it was kind of like Van Halen out, uh, video jump. You can kind of see the personalities, uh, all band members. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I think once I 
saw the reflex, uh, you know, a thousand times on MTV. It was like, oh, you know, I just, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. Like, all right, Duran Duran's okay. It was, Duran Duran was always my sister's favorite. So I was like, I can't like this band. They're just a bunch of pretty boys. But they were a bunch of pretty boys that can make some really good music. You've got to this time. Reflex is a, a great tune. I always love it. Let's move on to number 28. This is the Human League, the Lebanon. And um, do you remember this song? Yes, sir. Actually, it's a funny story. In, in Mexico, the Human League will, will always be remembered not by the Lebanon, but because of two other songs that were like, they, they really left the mark in, in, in my generation. One of them is Don't You Want Me. Who, who never danced at that rhythm. Right. And the other one that it was like like a very special one, and it's not in this list, but I, I want to bring it to the uh, conversation. It's Human. Do you guys oh, remember yeah. the Human song? Yeah. That really said the, I'm only human. That little piece, you will always be able to sing it if you be, belong to my to my generation in back in Mexico. Because you heard it like over and over, and it was one of those songs that never got old. never grew up tired of listening to from my years like the biggest song of the human league human yeah also also the vocals uh dave i think yeah. i think the the human league was able to establish a style that uh once you heard the songs you knew it was that band which is something very hard to accomplish but it's one of the great bands of our years human league were kind of like the psychedelic furs and that they kind of snuck up on you they had these continue hits throughout the 80s they were able to to generate the airplay on, on radio and and you didn't think about it there I, I think kind of we took some of it for granted it's kind of nice looking back like oh yeah wow human league and psychedelic furs both had a lot of hits and again whole reason we're doing this podcast because of our love for 80s music so we're, we're going to move on to number 27 this is a song talk talk it's my life i have a feeling you remember the no doubt song the 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 cover version do you remember the the original version by talk talk 
Yes, actually, I'm very sorry to say this, but I remember more the puck talk than the no doubts okay. uh, version. Good. Like, like I told you at the beginning of the podcast, I mean, you guys are awaking a sleeping part of me. <laughs> I, I left the music side of the business on, on December the 31st, 1997. And that was the last show that I did. It was a final countdown. And uh, I've never done anything related to music up to now, up to today. Mm. So um, <laughs> I remember that song. I don't know if the word exists, but like uh, danceable, like good to dance, because sometimes DJs used to try some songs that weren't really like, like a, do you remember the rhythm, the house, the house rhythm? But they tried it like to sometimes break the atmosphere or try to go for a change and do something like, like, a, like a bridge. And this was one of sometimes like like kind of like breaking the rhythm and the atmosphere. And uh, it was a song that we heard a lot in radio. that i i became a victim of satellite uh, satellite radio lately and uh the no doubts version i mean it's not even in my radar okay <laughs> but that, yeah that yeah that's saying yeah i'm from the 80s i'm sorry that you're getting old this was kind of a band talk talk do you remember talk talk i mean they, they had some hit they, later on they kind of became like this this Radiohead type band, or, or they they influenced Radiohead. They had a a, a number of uh, of albums that, uh, although they didn't get airplay, they it, it was like everyone who heard this album went on to to form a band. But uh, East of Eden, I believe, is the name of, the, of that album. But mm-hmm. but yeah, they had a they had a really good uh, career for those that are paying attention. It, it wasn't just these two songs. What was it? Talk Talk and It's My Life were the two big hits that uh, that were played on the radio. But they had some really big album success as well. Your comparison, though, he he is, I guess it's fair. He, I think part of the reason for that is Mark Hollis, the singer for Talk Talk. He was not big on promotion. You know, he didn't want to be out there. I mean, he was the singer, but he didn't want to be like in, in the limelight necessarily. You yeah, know, you have so many other bands that did. That, they were the anti-Duran Duran. Yeah, exactly. Which do you prefer, Ali? Which version? I like the original too. I love Gwen Stefani and I love their version, but you know, I'm usually partial to the original. I feel like if we ask Gwen what her favorite version is, she would, she would say talk, talk as well. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to number 26. This is Billy Idol's flesh for fantasy. <laughs> All right. You're laughing because I, I believe is because I asked the question face to face and back to back in, you see and feel my sex attack. How is this possible? Can you please, can anyone explain how you can be face to face and back to back with your sex attack? 
How is this possible? Please explain. Holly? I'm going to defer to Jorge. No, I can't, uh, okay. I can't. I have no explanation for it. No, don't. don't you don't have to explain your sex me, attack. Please. I'm asking about Billy no, Idols. No, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't bring the nasty side of the kinky side of these. Uh, being, being from Mexico, we have this thing, albur, which is like a double sense meaning. And of course, when I read that line, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind, you don't want to know, but uh, many things, uh, many things happen in this tiny little head of mine flesh for fantasy i would i would rate that at least growing up in, in my hometown like a second level song for billy idol it was a great song it was kind of like almost a love song for my generation but uh, if there are two songs that will identify in and mark um billy idol forever one of them is rebel yell and the other one it's eyes without a face which is a slower one. So if you were dancing, you will always go with eyes without a face, like the hottest hit. Yeah. And then, I mean, it, it, it's a good one, but it's one of those like to support the moment. It'll be flesh for fantasy. There's a change of pace of fantasy and taste. Do you like good music? Do you like to dance? personality set, set a, a style and a type of music that will live forever i mean he will always be the rebel yell and the uh spike <laughs> blonde hair and uh still looks what? like that still looks the same exactly and it's <laughs> and it's uh I, I was going through his uh bio uh, he's 64 man can you believe i mean billy 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 idol is a senior citizen already and a grandpa he is a grandpa, and that kid, he posts live videos of him and his granddaughter, Poppy, and she is the cutest. That, that, was, that was my favorite part of, of going through, through Billy's bio. Poppy Rebel is the name of, of, the, of the granddaughter. I loved it. I mean, Poppy. can you imagine? Poppy Rebel, what are you doing? <laughs> that's a good thing. Five Billy Idol songs made it onto 106.7 songs, so that's... Uh, Tells you something a about list. Billy yeah. Idol yeah. and so his place in history. In 84, yes. he ruled. Clearly. The name that Steve Stevens probably, I mean, if they didn't like uh, Billy Idol, because he, he's a magician with, with a guitar in his hands, but so people can like really identify him. He created one of the most amazing pieces in movie history. He performs the Top Gun anthem song you guys remember when when the movie starts and the song i, I don't want to sound like jack black but that song is performed by steve stevens <laughs>
Nice. I did not know that. What a lovely piece of movie, 80s movie trivia. Well, there you go. Maybe he'll be on the sequel. I think there, that's going to come out eventually, right? There's like oh, a yeah. Top Gun sequel. We, I hope Steve I'm, Stevens... I'm just worried that they... I'm just worried that Dave is going, man, this guy is out of control. I mean, I'm <laughs> trying to go to number 25, and this guy is taking me everywhere, no. going to movies. And uh, I'm sorry, I promise to no, behave. No, that's fine. That's why we bring in guests. They they take us on a, on their road, and we, we, we're we just watching we the just view. We just go along. Yeah. We're, we're along for your ride. What a, what a great view. Look at this. Oh, okay. <laughs> or he's taking us here. He's taking us there. There's, going. Nothing, there's no wrong road you can take. Was that one of your favorites? Was Top Gun? Obviously, you you probably you had the soundtrack. I'm sure. I, I can't wait for the second part. <laughs> I would love to see Maverick back again. I would love to see the old guys. You want to see Goose? Humor. No, I think I think. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if they're gonna pull up like a Mr. Miyagi stuff like they're doing with Cobra Guy, but uh, I don't think they're, they're gonna they're gonna be able to to pull something with Goose. Yeah. Moving right along now. Here we go. Uh, do they know it's Christmas? A Christmas song, which um, makes sense because, of course, the year-end list, this was played uh, December 31st, and it was fresh on everyone's mind. Um, this was a huge hit everywhere. And so um, I'm sure you remember this. Do you, And uh, my question to you was, uh, which artist delivers the best vocal? Who was your, what was your favorite part of that song? Okay, I have some. And, and to begin with, this is my one of my all-time favorite songs. Okay. I can hear this song in May, in <laughs> July, in September. I don't, I don't care when. Okay. I mean, I think it's a very nice song. The original idea, why, why it was created, I think it, it, it was a great one in, in those days, in the mid-80s, helping the, the most needed that allowed Bob Geldof to be named Sir. Practically put him in the map because uh, the Boomtown Rats weren't that hot, or at least they weren't a big deal where I was living, and made him a legend. Now, about the parts that I love, it's the combination at the beginning between George Michael and Simon Levon. I, I think that's uh, very touching. As the uh, first participation of Bono. That part is, like, really, really nice. And, and another thing that I would that I just want to bring it, and it's not about singing, but performing in a way, it's Phil Collins playing the drums. I mean, because <laughs> true. back then, he, he was starting his uh, single career. He was still performing with Genesis, but the way he was hitting those drums, it was amazing. Let's not forget that when the Live Aid, Live Aid concert happened, he was the first and only performer who played in England and then flew to Philadelphia <laughs> to get there and perform on the Concord. The end of that show, exactly. <laughs> so that's amazing, and, and and Phil Collins playing those drums are amazing. It's amazing. I agree. That was going to be my. I knew Holly was going to ask me, and I was going to do the cheat and say. Well, Phil Collins was my favorite part, but do you, you got me, you got it. I feel like the emoji monkey. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Holly, do you feel the same way? Can you hear, do they know that it's Christmas time in March? Does that, yes. uh, you can. Yes. I don't know if I want to say it ranks among my favorite songs of all time, but the song, Oh, we eat to this day. Uh, I'll never get sick of it. I don't get sick of it around the holidays. 
and it makes my makes my heart swell and sometimes bring tear brings tears to my eyes and watching it again which i know we we've, we've discussed it before watching all the artists you know interact and we know not all of them were there you know parts were all recorded together but just watching them i just ugh, brings chill <laughs> gives chills by the way okay so now we're moving on and and i have a question cuz i can't remember was david bowie part of do they know it's christmas I don't think so. All right. right. I mean, he I was him. he was in Live Aid. I remember he sang that uh, that crappy song, "Dancing in the Street," with Mick Jagger. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, don't no, say that. The reason I mentioned number twenty four is uh, the song "Blue Jean," and this was uh, this was Bowie's follow up to to his smash hit "Let's Dance." And go ahead, Holly. Do you have you have an observation? First, I want to go back to "Do They Know It's Christmas?" Yes. Um, David Bowie. He was actually meant to open the song, but wasn't able to make it to the studio on that day, on the November 25th, 1984. Boy George was able to make it. He was yeah, not. He, he was in the States and they had to fly him out and he missed yeah. flights and they had, had it was it up. was a nightmare. But uh, uh, he delivered. Actually, he, he's the second one singing. Yeah. He's the second one to appear right after yeah. Paul Young. And he kills Redhead. it. He kills it as well. I mean, I, Boy George, yes. I think that's probably. If I had to say, if I if I can't say Phil Collins because it was a drum fill, Boy George's stanza, his his part was uh, is my favorite part of the song. It's hard to choose a favorite part. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry, you were, t- we no, were talking about Blue Jean. That's okay, because yeah. So now we're moving on to number twenty four. This is David Bowie's Blue Jean. This was the album that followed up his hits hit uh, Let's Dance, and um, I think he's trying to replicate the the success, kind of build on that which is often tough to do. But um, what, do, what do you think, Jorge, of, uh, of Blue Jean? Well, I mean, every time somebody mentions David Bowie, I, I usually go like, because <laughs> I was never a big fan of David Bowie. I don't know why. You give, I, I you give a big smile. A, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, like you don't want to be left out. Like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, it's for example, like, like every time we, we step into a Beatles conversation, everybody's on John Lennon's side. And I admire John, but I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a McCartney guy. I, I have always loved Paul. I mean, he's my favorite Beatle. And, 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 and when I look around, nobody's on my side. Everybody's on Lennon's side. And this wow. same thing happens with Bowie. I like his music, but it wasn't like any of my favorites. And, and, and uh, Blue Jean was, was a smash. But as it was Let's Dance... China girl and dancing in the street was like a huge thing in Mexico. Yeah. And, and I had, I had a blast last night watching that video <laughs> because like the camo outfit that Bowie is wearing that day yeah. or night or day and night that they recorded the, uh, the video, the uh, speaking about mullets, I mean, uh, Jagger's mullet <laughs> amazing. I mean, in, in, in that, showed a lot what our generation was the colorful outfield the dancing the camaraderie mm-hmm. i mean it reflects a lot and, and blue jean was 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 really a big smash along with the other ones that i'm telling you but then you go to the other side of bowie that probably this is the commercial side and, and probably what build the bowie's uh, legend it's the other side where it's more like musical and deeper lyrics and uh more of uh, an artist yeah. than than a personality, and that's probably the side that I that I it's not that I didn't like that I never felt like identified with. He became so 
so big. I think when people do retrospectives of Bowie's career, they look at, at the 70s and sometimes they kind of skip over this this phase because it was it was so big, it was so pop and just so unlike what Bowie's previous musical career was was like. Uh, it just I mean, it hit the stratosphere. It was just crazy. He made a great pivot into the 80s. I mean, whatever you think of the music. And again, it's watching this video for Blue Jean. Blue Jean was not one of my favorite songs. But watching the video, I love this video and whatever effect they had on his uh, on on David Bowie on the version of David Bowie on stage was amazing. This, I thought this video was great, very very eighties, but I was transfixed. I it, couldn't take my eyes off of it. Yeah, it was actually I think it was a twenty minute video. It was like a kind of a mini movie Story. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think this was the only Grammy that uh, David Bowie ever won was for the video for for Blue Jean that like he never won uh, a grammy award until after uh, he passed i think uh, but this but he did get one for for this video this 20 minute long video This is another band, maybe, um, that you might not have been familiar with. It's a band from Germany, and the song is called Big in Japan. It's uh, The band is Alphaville, and they were number one. In, this is a number one song in Germany, and uh, they did pretty well for themselves, especially in Los Angeles. Did it make it to uh, to Mexico? What What were your opinion? What do you think of this song? Sure. This is a one of the best and most popular songs ever heard in Mexico. Big, wow. Big in Japan was a hymn in my in, in my generation. I mean, this song was like great. I mean, personally, I love the song, but my my favorite song from Alphaville is Forever Young. Mm-hmm. It has a special right. feeling. But Big in Japan, there was a dancing uh, version of it with the house mix and stuff. That was one of the hottest moments in the discos back then in Guadalajara. Mm. I mean, once you hear uh, Big in Japan, you, you remember that unique way that the song starts once you started hearing that it was like oh my god it can be and then the whole Were you going to the dance clubs, Jorge? Were you uh, like in your teenage years? I, I 
well, I, I started going because of work. I was I was emceeing a lot of uh, a lot of events and, and stuff like that. Okay. I, I started in radio at 18. In okay. in uh, 18 is the legal age. I mean, you're legal. You can go to a club and, and you can drink in Mexico. Here it's 21. But at, at 18, I was already emceeing events. And uh, I became good friends with uh, some of the DJs, best DJs in town. And, and they taught me how to manipulate people. Okay, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send everybody to drink. And then they used to play one song, everybody would go to, to their tables and start ordering drinks and stuff. And then, okay, you think it's good enough for, for, to take them out to, to dance again? Okay, go. And then she goes with a special song with a special effect. Oh, everybody goes back to the, to the dance floor. <laughs> I, I, I've never been a, a dancing type. I have, I've always have said that I have... Uh, um, two left feet, and I don't know why, but I but but I suffer from panic attacks, being <laughs> on the dance floor, and like feeling that everybody's looking at me and that I can barely move. And, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm there with you. But, I'm right there with you. But man, to be an 18, 18 and to be the DJ there at a club, that's that's pretty sweet. I wish I was eighteen and doing what you were doing. That must have been nice to be in that position. It, it has the good the goods but there there's always a bad side i mean i lost part of my like my college years and and yeah. that thing that you do that you remember i was already doing the dj the the club stuff and uh i mean yeah i i did some things but i didn't leave or went through some other stuff so i mean you put that on a scale and uh mm. I mean, it's part of my life and it is what it is, but I enjoyed it. I had so much fun and I see how one of my first uh, teachers in this business uh, taught me one of the biggest learning process in our business is just pay attention on people. And one of the best places to do that, it's a club. You get there early, you see them, you start seeing them since, since they they show up how they behave when they start socializing they they go to their tables once they start drinking and once after they drank you see how people change behave everything works for you when when you're doing this to try to show them the best product for example when you're programming a radio station there are certain times at least that's how i learned there are certain times that you should play some songs and some others don't. So depending on the mood and the type of day and the, the time and the things that people are usually doing at that time. So that's how you try to go around. You try to seduce an audience with what you do. Mm-hmm. And that's that was the magic that the clubs used to do before. All right. What was your go-to song? You wanted to get people on the dance floor. All right. Five seconds again on the dance floor. Was playing like a... You, Jungle you know, Love. In my years, and, and you're probably going to be surprised. Do you remember The Outfield? Oh, Your Love? They had a special version with like Soma Capella at the beginning. And we, that was the first one that came to my mind. Our next song, um, which is The Smiths' How Soon Is Now, which is kind of 
this has been described in LA as uh, the the Freddie Snakeskin, who was the program director at KROQ. He said, "How soon is now?" is kind of like the stairway to heaven of '80s music of alternative songs. Um, this was the song that everyone recognized because it, you know, it, it had that guitar instantly recognizable, and you could sing along to it. You scream the chorus, and it just had different parts to it. First of all, "How soon is now?" Do you remember that song? Well, this is this is another embarrassing uh, part of the uh, of the day okay. for, for the rookie that I am with you guys. Okay. But, uh, unfortunately, and in, 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 again, uh, I was I was living those days in a different market. The Smiths weren't as big as you mentioned yeah. here in the states. What I can rescue from the Smiths is that Morrissey was the lead singer. He has a huge Hispanic following now to this day. But as but as Morrissey, yeah, uh, the Smiths. I, I I not only went through that song, but but through some others. And none of them ring a bell to me. And, and I'm sorry, I, I apologize no. because, again, it was a different market. And sometimes right. what a song, it's very important for one market. It's not the same. But I, I have something that I, I don't know. I hope I don't break the protocol. I would like <laughs> to read. I prepare something for you guys to, to listen and to tell me if you, if, if you have any idea where I took this from. Okay. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Oh, we got to. Okay. I'm already we, we, out. Dave will know this. No, no, no. We're talking about the Smiths, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, are we ready? Okay. This I hope I hope I read it correctly. All men have secrets and here is mine. <laughs> so let it be known. For we have been through head and high tide. I think I can rely on you. And yet you start to recoil. Heavy words are so lightly thrown, but still I leap in front of a flying bullet for you. Yeah. I tested Holly on this. She didn't know what the song was. So is this where the name of the podcast coming from? Oh, yeah. What difference does it make? Yes, yes. Ah. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) That's funny. Third single from the Smiths album, written by Morrissey and Johnny Marr, released on January 16, 1984. Recorded October 1993 at the Pluto Studios in Manchester. Yeah. Number 12 in the UK. I'm trying to segue into our our final song. We've made it through here. <laughs> uh, this is number 21, Duran Duran's Wild Boys. This was like the highest charting song for them. Uh, and it was, uh, it was a studio song, but it was off a, a live album called Arena. Mm-hmm. Duran Duran could do no wrong at this point. But uh, this was kind of their peak. This was Wild Boys. And then I think A View to the Kill came out right after that. So, mm-hmm. you know. It was it was big 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 stuff.
Do you have a favorite Duran Duran song? Uh, yes, I do. My very favorite is Hungry Like the Wolf. I mean, I love the way that uh, they put the vocals. I love the energy. It's one of those songs that go really deep in me and makes me like feel motivated. And, uh, <laughs> and it was so cool. I mean, you were you were mentioning the story about your sister. And uh, in those days, if you really want to be like close to the girls, you would really have to be part of the move. I mean, you have to accept the music so you you could be a, you could be with them. If you were against, you will never be noticed. Right. Yeah. You got. Yeah. You got to be accepting. Uh, <laughs> and, and they were always right. The women were always right. They always knew what the, where, where the good music was. I was talking to Holly about a song that is live, but it's in a movie, and and, and it's a project <laughs> that unfortunately was just made for that movie. The movie is called Streets of Fire. The band is called Fired Inc. And the song is Tonight is What It Means to Be Young. It's at the end of the movie. Diane Lane is lip syncing. I mean, I love she Diane is Lane. Oh, she's well, the best. I, 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 hope, I hope you know what I'm talking about because it's, <laughs> it's not like a very, it wasn't a very popular movie in those days, but it became more popular when it started being shown in cable. Mm. And uh, I told Holly uh, that I that I've been trying to find more information about this Fire Inc. band. And what I got is the name Holly Sherwood as the lead mm-hmm. female voice. And the man who was behind this, it's uh, Gene Steiner. I think this guy is a genius. Oh, he made he Meatloaf built, with Meatloaf. Actually, yeah, but he referred to Meatloaf as the only person capable of really understanding and performing the feeling that he wanted to express. Yeah. And Meatloaf's voice is unique in the business. So that type of music, Stein produced another song that is in the same uh, record as... Um, Total Eclipse of the Heart, which is faster than the speed of night. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's something very typical in this time, and it's, it's like the very, uh, like the strong keyboards. Faster than the speed of the night. And then like the chorus, like very strong chorus. And, and I love that. In, in those three records and that song, uh, that's a song that I was listening yesterday through a one, and a, one hour and 45 minutes of walk. Uh, same over and over because... I don't know. It makes me think. It, it made me think, reflect, uh, just put my my thoughts together. Motivates me, makes me feel good. I forget that I'm in pain, going up a hill, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so this this fires you it. up. It's like exactly. a, It's like the exactly. Steve Stevens Top Gun guitar. It's just oh, that, that I usually do it before going to bed, like going in a good note <laughs> to bed. 
hey, we made it through the list. <laughs> this was so much fun. Thanks, Jorge. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I love Holly. Thank God this wasn't recorded on tape because if not, <laughs> we would have made it like, I don't know, three or four rolls. I know, that. right. <laughs> All right, we're going long. Very uh, pleased, honored, and grateful to you guys for giving me the chance to participate with you. Thank you. I, I had a blast. Well, that was kind of cool. An international flavor. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I, it was fun learning about Mexico and the artists that came to Mexico back in the 80s and talking music. I knew he would come very prepared because he is an uber preparer. <laughs> I've seen him. I've watched him actually prepare for soccer matches, and he's very serious. Well, yeah, as you should be. Uh, but yeah, that's great. I'm glad he brought that uh, attention to detail to to our podcast and uh, gave us some insight into what uh, music was like in Mexico and Miami and El Paso and all things 80s. So that, I, I love that. Uh, thanks for thanks for bringing him into our studio. Oh, such a pleasure. I was very very happy he was available for us. Nice. Where can we be available to people on social media, Holly? We are available to people on Facebook at the What Difference Does It Make podcast, on Instagram and Twitter at WDDIM podcast, and please follow us on YouTube. We have our very own YouTube channel, and we're putting lots of stuff up there. You can check out some of the behind the, behind the scenes stuff, and you'll see some stuff we talked about with, with Jorge that probably will uh, not end up in the podcast. Check us out on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Yeah, it's great. Uh, people have been actually commenting on a few things. So comments are great. Reviews are great. As a matter of fact, we've had some corrections to some of our segments that we put up on YouTube. And it has been pointed out to us that we may have been saying Dave Gahan's name wrong all this time. I always thought it was Gahan, pronounced Gahan. Dave, how about you? I've always said Gahan because that's the way it looks, but apparently that might not be the way. So I'm told that he pronounces it himself, Gahan, which sounds Dave gone to me but like Slon it's Dave Slon by the way did Dave you know Slon. that <laughs> yes I'm sorry you've no, been mispron- know, you've you. been I'll, mispronouncing I'll my name this whole time I'm highly insulted but that's okay <laughs> please accept my apology and Dave gone please accept our apologies all right leave reviews comments concerns we love it all and until next week this is Dave this is Holly check you later over and out It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.